0: The Good, the
1: Bad, and the Remake Spoilers in three, two, one.
2: Hello and welcome to the Good, the Bad and the Remake podcast, where we watch some classic films, some not so great and their respective remakes. Will the recreation be an unmake and a remake or amazing? My name is Neil and these are my co hosts.
3: Hey, I'm Catherine.
1: Hello, I'm Ben.
2: Today we have episode 5 Insomnia. Here are our thoughts on the original, our expectations for the remake, the one thing we'll take from the remake into the original and a lot more. And to kick us off with episode five, Insomnia, of course it is two films, but we can only share the one synopsis. So over to you, Ben.
1: When the body of a murdered teenage girl turns up in a small town, a city detective and his partner are brought in to find the murderer. In the middle of a botched sting, the detective accidentally shoots his partner, and as the endless daylight takes its toll on his mental state, the detective forges an uneasy alliance with the murderer Who knows his incriminating secret?
2: Well, you've got wet my appetite, Ben. Very much (laughs) looking forward to watching uh, to watching (laughs) both of these films.
1: As long as uh, that's Uh, all that's wet.
2: Oh, that's what she said. Yay! There (laughs) There we go. Um, So yeah, it's worth worth adding, of course, the original Insomnia being the uh, Scandinavian version uh, and the remake, the Hollywood version. Uh, And to uh, tell us a little bit more about the films, uh, over to Catherine.
3: So the original Insomnia, um, 1997-98, Stroke I found it, it was released in 98, but I found it referred to as the 1997 film quite a lot. I can't find a budget for it anywhere. It grossed worldwide 227000 which isn't much, but it was only released domestically. So, you know, it was a Norwegian film, released only in Norway, but it doesn't look like it cost a lot of money. No. Uh,
2: no. And the, the, main, uh, the main actor... I forgot his name. Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. Yes, this is before I guess he certainly broke West Western, you know, American fame. Yeah, 30P maybe.
3: He looks very young. Um, director was Eric Skolberg. Um, he hasn't directed anything I'd heard of apart from Prozac Nation. It's mainly all Norwegian stuff since then. Uh, the remake, 2002, directed by Christopher Nolan. 46 million it cost to make. 113 million it grossed. So, wow. Yeah, quite a good profit for, for this kind of film, I guess. But obviously Christopher Nolan of Dark Knight, Trilogy, Inception, Memento, Dunkirk, all, all the films that you know and love from Christopher Nolan.
2: Thank you. So yeah, I think we touched on this on the, uh, on the previous episodes. You know, I'm a, a huge Christopher Nolan fan and this was one in the back catalogue that I hadn't seen. So I was uh, hugely looking forward to seeing that version. But the original as well, you know, seen a few Scandinavian films, you know, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo probably being... Uh, One of the more famous ones that got an American remake. Uh, So, yeah, I think it was a good one to have on our list. And what's your sort of history with it then, Catherine? Have you seen either or?
3: Um, Well, I have now, but when we went into this, (laughs) I hadn't even heard of it. Um, I think I mentioned that last week. So, um, yeah, I was was completely naive to this film before we watched it.
1: And yourself, Ben? Well, Memento came out in the first year that I was studying film at university. And we went to see that in the cinema, me and a bunch of friends, and we're just obsessed with it. We thought it was like a low-key masterpiece. So when Insomnia came out, obviously we were really excited to see the next film by Christopher Nolan. So I saw this film when it first came out. I've seen it a number of times since. The original, I'd only seen once before, and I think i rented it off Netflix back in the day, in sort of 2010 or something like that. So I didn't remember the original very well, and it was it was really interesting going back to see it again this time. So there we go. So
2: starting off with the original, then it uh, as Catherine touched on 97. Uh, ben very kindly uh, did you you bought the Arrow DVD copy, didn't you? I think.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, it was very kindly. Uh,
2: yeah, lent it round to our house, uh, and we watched it the other night. So, Catherine, what was your thoughts on the original?
3: This was just a dark and nasty little film, really, wasn't it? Um, and I really liked it. <laughs> I liked it, but I didn't enjoy it. If that makes sense, like I would. I thought it was an excellent film, but I wouldn't rush to go back and watch it. I would watch it again, but I found it. Nobody was particularly likable in it. The protagonist was. Oh, he was very.
2: So you're talking here, Stellan Skarsgård, who was Jonas.
3: Yeah, he was the lead detective brought in okay. from Sweden and he just falls down this moral hole, doesn't he, really? Although there's there's some kind of, there's queries whether, whether his character's upstanding, really, just very slight hints to it. But um, as he becomes more and more sleep-deprived, he becomes more and more morally bankrupt. Yeah, um, compromised is... Is probably a better word but he wasn't necessarily a bad guy but you don't really know you don't you don't know enough about him to know if he's a bad guy or not but it just turns on one moment he makes a decision in one moment when he's discussing how his partner got shot and in that split second he decides to say it was the guy they were chasing it wasn't him it wasn't an accident it was the murder that they were chasing and in that second everything sort of comes from that because he's he's on a on a, a role that he can't stop then he has to follow through on that and every step of the way is another moral quandary yeah he, he can't get himself out of it once he's taken that that one decision so it was it was really interesting
2: so just on the kind of moral position um so obviously he comes from uh touch touched on him, he came from sweden uh to to assist with this uh investigation i think you you picked up on it Catherine. we had to to rewind to check it but there was a scene where the the fellow i guess local detectives were laughing about him because he he'd been disgraced in sweden uh i think for was it starting a relationship with a witness or something like
1: that that's yeah that's what i thought he Mm -hmm. had an, an inappropriate relationship with yeah someone on a case
2: yeah and and so my my question is there are a few scenes uh, as the the film progresses on there's one in particular where he's in the car with the young girl who's mm-hmm. uh, you know sees her leg and gets quite flirtatious and then puts his hand on her leg and then there's uh, one later with the hotel receptionist where sexually moves upon her should we say and
0: um, actually sorry
2: uh, yeah but the, the my, my question is how much of this was happening and how much of this was in his head because am I misreading something?
1: It was just I, a, yeah. I don't think it it's that kind of film. The,
2: no, I, I the,
3: didn't get the impression that it was all in his head, and it it didn't come across like that to me.
2: But it was the it was the reaction from the women because they were initially they were forthcoming, should we say, um, and then it was like an immediate reaction to get off me.
1: Mm. I think maybe if there's something that's in his head, it's it's that initial reciprocation, maybe.
2: Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so then the um, I, I agree with Catherine. I think the where the film goes from from there, you know, you start off with this, you know, the, the puzzling scene of the mystery of the of the the girl who'd been murdered and how it kind of unpacks and unfolds throughout there is really really fascinating. I think the there's a few tidbits that um, I guess not being native Norwegian we wouldn't know uh, that. Um, so he's carrying a gun, which. Uh, police in Norway, don't carry a gun. Hmm. Uh, so he shouldn't have shot or could, couldn't have been able to uh, shoot his his partner. And uh, also as well, the city or the, the, the location, should I say, that the murder is happening and the investigation is taking place, it never goes dark. And that's not really ever explained. I presume it's something to do with the locale of it and the time of year and there's very limited kind of pretty much all day sunlight.
3: Well, when they're on the plane going to land in Norway the the pilot says oh, like welcome to the land of the midnight sun so in, ah. in Norway the sun doesn't set in the summer months because ah. they're so they're so far above Are you the... native Norwegian I just know things <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I read
3: I um, listen to the film
2: yeah so I, I did miss that bit so yeah so as the as the story progresses and the mystery unfolds the killer was I guess having I say a relationship with uh, with his victim it wasn't necessarily a love sexual one but he was buying her gifts and treats and things and maybe took this one step too far in his advances uh, and ended up killing her so yeah I, th- I thought it was very good and and the way the end played out i liked as well ben what do you uh what are your thoughts having said you've seen it before and
1: yeah it's, your memory it's really hard because i'm so much more familiar with the christopher nolan film that you kind of end up you can't I, I sort of envy you being able to watch it, you know, in a vacuum, watch it clean, because I I can't do that. I have to compare it to the Chris Nolan film. Um, but I try, you know, try to put that out of my mind as much as possible. And it is, it's really interesting to me how how stripped down this is compared to the Chris Nolan film. This is a very straightforwardly told procedural thing. It's it's so classically Scandinoir, isn't it? Like if you have ever seen The Killing yeah, yeah. or any of the Yonesbo stuff or any of that, all of the, all of the males are like men who hurt women, you know, which yeah. was the, the original title of the girl with the dragon tattoo was something like the men who kill women or something like that. Right. You know, they're all about this and it's so bleak. There's no, there's not one moment of levity in this film that I can remember at all. But well, there's no there's no laughs in insomnia, are there? Let's face it. <laughs> no, no. And yeah, I think it was done on a relatively low budget, and there are these kind of experimental touches where the longer it goes on, the longer he goes without sleep, you get these glitches in the in the mm. shots, and the shots themselves become more off kilter, and the editing, you know, becomes more uh, sort of staccato, and like the scenes become more disorienting as the film goes on. And it actually, rather than making you really tense, I felt anyway, it sort of just makes you uneasy. And the thing that, that ties this whole film together is it's often very hard to get a, a reading on a performance in a foreign language because so much of the expression of language is lost if you're not a fluent speaker in it. But I think Stellan Skarsgård in this film is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I think he's an actual sociopath. I don't think it's that he compromises i think he he has no moral compass at all and when he sees the opportunity in that in interrogation scene when um he's trying to explain what happened to his partner and the story is fed to him that and he just goes along with it rather than saying yeah yeah i shot him it was an accident it's 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 a reflex action almost to him um there's one scene in particular that i wanted to to bring out because i think it's it's a really hard thing to do, and it's a really hard thing to convey. There's a scene towards the end of the film in a parking garage where the female cop that he's been working with, the female local cop, who you get the impression doesn't really like him very much, is going to escort the girl who... He, he groped that girl. Like, There's no two ways about yeah, it. He, yeah, he yeah. sexually assaulted a schoolgirl in that yeah. car. And the the female cop is kind of... Sort of onto him, or, she, or he thinks that she's onto him, and he realizes that he has to frame the real murderer and hide it from her at the same time. And it's a masterclass in acting. I'm not doing a very good job of describing it, but there's lots and lots of, of twists that have built up, lots of lies, like you said, that have built up. And he's now realizing that he's going to have to frame this guy. There's something that Stellan Skarsgård d- does, which is that he's concealing something from the other actor in the scene but he's revealing it to us at the same time as the audience. And that's a very, very subtle thing to do. And he never goes over the edge. The thing that I'm really curious to, to ask both of you, though, is what you make of the last shot of the film. Do
3: you mean when he's driving through the tunnel yeah. going back? I, When he was closing his eyes as if he was going to sleep, I thought, oh, he's, he's going to crash and die. And that's going to be the kind of the morally compromised, the, the bad guy, if you like will die at the end and they didn't do that and i'm really glad they didn't do that because that feels like too much of a hollywood ending in a way i like that he just yeah carried on he got got away with it in a way but he could have been doing that his whole life getting through his life and it and it's been and gone and on to the next thing i i liked that is that the scene you mean yeah yeah yeah
1: it's really hard to get a reading i think on what's going on Mm. behind his eyes and i think that is the point of the shot but
2: yeah because it does the fade to black doesn't it but his eyes are lit
1: yeah.
2: um which, which which looks uh quite freaky and funny at the same time before we move on to the to the remake did i did i see a keanu reeves poster
1: yes <laughs>
2: of
1: course you yes. did
2: of course i did
1: the girl who was murdered has two posters in her room and one of them is a very very good looking keanu reeves Absolutely. yeah in black I and white that. yeah, yeah.
2: And tune into the Keanu Copia very much. On, uh, <laughs> on podcasts. So on to the remake then. So uh, this, uh, of course, being it actually was only remade a few years, a few years later, and I get the sense that it was an opportunity for Hollywood or America to 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 remake, uh, a, you know, a, a very solid uh, original Scandinavian film. So, Catherine, what was your thoughts on the remake?
3: I was expecting more from a Christopher, no, I was expecting different from a Christopher Nolan film. A Christopher Nolan film about insomnia. I mean, all his films are very, they mess with time or they mess with um, reality. And I thought that the insomnia portion, I felt like he would play with the insomnia far more. To me, it did not feel. As a 25-year sufferer of insomnia, I feel like I have quite a personal relationship with it and it did not feel it, it didn't bring out any of the feelings of that you that come along with insomnia for me it's probably very personal to everybody but for me I didn't get that and I was expecting it just because he is known for all of his films mess with reality bend reality or you know show that in a different way I was expecting more of that but it was quite a standard police procedural in a way although diff- I mean excellent it was i say standard i don't mean standard because it was excellently done it didn't feel like a different anything different in a way just so think, just set it a better level
2: yeah i think in <clears throat> in terms of that though this um you know starting with if we start at memento let's say i guess this is he directed this film but it isn't his film Whereas the others were, he very much had. He either wrote them, or um, was it his brother writes yeah, alongside with him? Yeah. It's an interesting point that you make, though. Could he have done more with the insomnia part of the the, the story? Uh, and the question really is for for both films, really. Do you think the main detective had insomnia before he shot his friend, or do you think that was the trigger?
1: Oh, before he shot his partner. Yeah, I, I thought you meant before they arrive at the island.
2: Oh, right, okay. So you think the, the location was emphasising insomnia? Because it's never really talked about if you had it before or what.
1: Yeah, that's what I think anyway. I think it's atypical insomnia because it's brought on by an external force. It's not his... Mm. Although I suppose it's something that the film talks about. It's not. I was going to say it's not his stress that's keeping him awake, but I suppose increasingly actually it is. He can't silence the, the demons in his head and he can't stop playing over the event of that day. So maybe it's a combination of the two. I do, so we, I do
3: feel that he I mean, turned up looking like he hadn't slept for, <laughs> for weeks. I mean, that's, I didn't...
1: That's just Al Pacino. I don't know what you're going to do with yeah,
3: So I didn't... As the um, movie went on, he did, in his body, I felt like he started to portray someone who's very sleep-deprived and slower movements and just a bit not really there sometimes. But But I felt he looked he looked the same all the time just that he was tired from the moment he he was on the plane really the whole way mm. through he already looked exhausted but then he was a cop and entering the sort of the final stages of his career really mm. already under investigation by internal affairs so maybe he was very stressed and very just tired tired mm. of his job
2: <laughs> well on that because that's um a slight tweak and difference on the original so uh, the the disgraced cop uh, having that sexual interaction with a witness. Whereas in the remake, he was in, under investigation for something different. And uh, it was the internal affairs uh, cops that were uh, looking into him. I think we see snippets of it in the newspaper at the start as they're flying in. Uh, and it plays a bit more of a role as the, the film progresses. There is one thing I want to mention here, though, about the plane that's Christopher Nolan. You know, the plane coming in, there was a wide angle shot. The planes coming in, he was really like letting himself loose. Cause yeah. you know, Memento didn't have scope to do those kind of things. I've not seen it for a while, but there certainly was no planes in Memento. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like, okay, yeah, we're watching a Christopher Nolan film here. There we go. Very
1: what much. an amazing shot as well, as they fly over that sort of glacial plane. It's, it's stunning. Like it looks like an alien world and it's, it's not a stretch really to go from that to something in, Interstellar, you know?
2: So then as the um, uh, the film goes on, we get introduced to, to most of the, uh, the the main cast uh, within it. So Hilary Swank playing the the female cop. I'd be interested to hear your, your kind of thoughts on it, well, Ben and Catherine, really, because I think she plays a much bigger... Well, she's got a lot more screen time uh, in the remake. In the original, though, while she didn't have a lot of screen time, she did play a key role in that kind of... Not quite a final scene, but the sub-final scene. She kind of cracked the the detective was a bit dodgy mm. and he did kill his mate. But in the, in the remake, uh, Swank gets a lot more kind of scope and time to develop that. So what's your kind of thoughts on, on that?
1: Yeah, oh, I think the two most important changes in the remake, because it's, it's a pretty faithful adaptation of the earlier film. But mm-hmm. the th- Well, I guess there's three big changes. One is the, the character that Al Pacino plays is, is a lot more human I think, than yeah. the Stone and Skarsgård character. And rather than him not having, in my opinion, any sort of morality really to begin with, in this, I think it is compromise. I think he gradually has to compromise his, his beliefs. And he's got this guilt about an old case where he compromised. He did the yeah. wrong thing for the right reason. And I don't think he's doing the wrong thing for the right reason anymore in this. He's doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason and you watch that play out in al pacino's performance but yeah the hillary swank character the ellie burr character and the killer who in this is played by robin williams both of those are massively expanded the killer is hardly in the earlier film he has like two yeah, scenes yeah. Yeah. and the amount that robin williams adds to this film is gigantic he is so good in this film mm-hmm. and so is al pacino al pacino gets a lot of stick for being shouty you know um and he does a little bit of that in this but there are two scenes in particular where i think he is absolutely phenomenal the scene where he's explaining to the the woman who works on the reception at the hotel about the dobbs case the one that's going to be unraveled by internal affairs that again is a very difficult thing to do because he's he's reminiscing in a realistic way uh without like doing a kind of actually trick of pretending to remember that often comes off, you know, very phony in films. He absolutely nails it and it doesn't feel out of place at all. Uh, and it's, it is similar to that garage scene in the, in the first film, but the very, very best scene in the entire film for me is on the ferry. When um, Al Pacino and Robin Williams meet face to face for the first time. There is no scene in that earlier film that is anywhere as complex and as nuanced and as strange and as brilliantly edited and shot and acted and written as that scene on the ferry. And I think regardless of the, the merits of the film as a whole, I, I understand why it's kind of the forgotten Nolan film because it is the most straightforward in a way. But that is a, is a classic scene that can sit among the best in, in Nolan's career for my money.
3: It was, it was a great scene, but this, the scene that made me sit up and go, oh, yeah, I'm interested in this film was in the school when he was interviewing the boyfriend of the murdered victim. Mm. Um, and, you know, he's being a dick and he's like, oh, you know, you're coming in here with your leather jacket or whatever. You know, yeah. I don't care, get lost. And he just brings the guys, pulls it closer, doesn't he, the desk. Yeah. And he just says... I, I can't remember what it is he says, but he just sort of lays into him, but quietly. Yeah. He doesn't do the big Al Pacino thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I like, this is, yeah, I'm interested now. I thought that was a great scene.
1: It's just gonna, a little it,
2: prick it, in a leather jacket.
1: On the, on the point that you made there about Pacino's best when he's been quiet in this film, I totally agree with that. He does have a couple of the shouty moments, but they stand out because the rest of his performance is so quietly spoken. And I think that scene in the classroom is great. The very simple thing of taking the cigarette out of the kid's hand, flicking it away, pulling the desk towards him. Yeah, it's great. It's a real power move. It's a real boss move. Uh, But also the scene where he has to tell his partner's wife that he's dead. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going on in that scene. And legitimately, I think Pacino is really good in this film. The other thing you said about how... You know, Nolan likes to play around with time a lot in his films. And this is the kind of the outlier because there's not as much of that. I think he does do a lot of things as the film progresses to try and put you in Pacino's state of mind of how everything is distorted now. But the one thing where I think it does make a really nice pairing with Memento is in how unreliable memory is. Because every time he replays what happened to Hap. Like when he shot him, it's different. His memory is changing as he loses more and more sleep. Uh-huh. And that's I never one,
3: picked up on that.
1: That's one of the things that you know memento is about is that memory isn't perfect. And and you know, you can't trust someone's recollection of something, particularly the more time goes on. And I think that's the thing that I really like about this film is Chris Nolan became the Chris Nolan that everybody knows and loves when he did Batman Begins. So there's really only Memento and Insomnia that precede that. They are like Nolan phase one and they look and sound and feel a lot like one another. And every other Christopher Nolan film looks and sounds and feels totally different. So this is almost like a snapshot of what Christopher Nolan's career would have been like if he'd been more like David Fincher. And I kind of wish that he would do another film like this again, you know, something relatively small compared to the gigantic films that he does because character work and the performances in this film I I think are really top notch. I really, really I and I'll go on the record now as saying I prefer this to the the original as as a remixer.
3: I said I was disappointed, maybe or was I expecting a bit more? It doesn't mean I didn't like the film. No, no, I understand. I did did really like the film.
2: So, yeah, I think on the the chat about I guess time and memories and, and those kind of things, so I'd be curious to know, and I don't know if either of you guys know this, but uh, was this a case of Christopher Nolan said, I want to direct that film because he would be very, you know, knowing his catalog and his interest within it, uh, or was he pseudo kind of assigned it? If you see what I mean, it was like, he was this up coming director. We want to remake this film. Do you fancy giving it a shot or did he seek it out and go, I want to remake Insomnia?
1: I, I would, I would assume that it was more of a director for hire kind of gig, you know, it was an opportunity to work with a much bigger budget than Memento to work with a studio, work with some big name Hollywood stars. And there was enough that, you know, sort of lined up with his own personal interests that he could do something that he found interesting. I don't think that he pursued, you know, Oh, for my next film, I'm going to do a remake of an obscure Scandi noir film. I don't think that's, that's what happened at all.
2: Okay, good. And um, another thing you mentioned about Al Pacino so, uh, you know, referencing the original and maybe some of the differences in how the, the main character was, what was the phrase you
1: used? Well, he's, more, he's got more humanity, for one thing, hasn't he?
2: Humanity, yeah, yeah, which is evidenced in the fact that the dog is already dead. Yes. So in the, uh, in the original, of course, there is a scene with, uh, with a dog uh, in an alleyway, and you see that the dog is barking, it's alive as well. And then a few minutes later, the detective goes back to the dog to basically kill it, so you can retrieve the bullet and do some bullet swapping and manipulate evidence. Uh, in the uh, in the remake, the dog is already dead uh, because Al Pacino can't kill
1: dogs. Uh, and and in fact, he only discovers the dead dog because he has to pull over the car and throw up because of what yeah. just happened. And I think that's a really key difference as well. Like he actually has a conscience. And if the first film is about sort of ero- the erosion of this man's soul. Then the remake is kind of showing the impact of, of one moment of compromise on his core morality. Like it's his morality that's getting chipped away all the time, you know, and he is becoming more and more like the guy that he's chasing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And on the chasing, so in the original, uh, there's a bit of a chase scene that happens in guess, some kind of dock or warehouse and uh, the falls in, in um, through the wooden panels into mm. the water. Uh, whereas in the in the remake, um, that log scene is amazing, terrifying. <laughs> uh, so Al Pacino is chasing uh, Robin Williams across some logs, and again, this is Christopher Nolan stretching his legs a bit, you know, letting himself out. Okay, okay give me a chance to do a bit of action. I'll do a bit of action, and yeah. the way these, it's just brilliant. It's just amazing um, how that whole kind of scene plays out.
3: It's a re- it was a really really dangerous stunt. And people die every year in that industry just from from that kind of thing, just getting trapped under the logs. Every single year, people die in the industry. It's a, it was a really, really dangerous stunt when it happened.
2: Uh, so Robin Williams. Ben mentioned uh, Robin Williams in that scene on the ferry, uh, which I should act actually is a lot better than uh, previous ferry scenes in remakes that we've watched in this podcast.
1: What's that an allusion to? It's point Break? Was it, was it on
3: the Wicker Man? Wicker Man.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes! <laughs> uh so yeah Ro- robin williams so he obviously you know a comedic actor largely in his career uh, and he did uh, this and was it one hour photo shortly after
1: both the I same year pretty, i think um, yeah.
2: yeah pedophilic um photographer uh, developer i guess uh, yeah he's just uh, just incredible i guess because he's so well loved he's so likable he's robin williams you know mm. how can how could robin williams be this vicious killer and, and Well, savish is he's actually not. He, he's a classic case of, he writes these dark novels, which I presume are, are about uh, murders of young women, and he has become like, sexually attracted to this, uh, this young lady. And the way he at least tells the story, and that's all we can go off because we don't see the actual scene itself, in that um, he went to kiss her, she reacted, and then he... Uh, I think he, did he say something like he slapped her or punched her a few times or something? And then he just, well, I not shut up.
1: I, I understood it that he put his arm around it and he got aroused and she laughed at him.
2: Mm. Uh, that was it. Yes. And some yeah, rage yeah, yeah. came
1: out of him and he just snapped and that was when he hit her. And then it was, it was game yeah. over. He just followed through. And that's really interesting as well, because I don't think he is a sociopath, but they take pains to say, Al Pacino has that great line where he's like they'll there will this will happen again because he crossed the line and he didn't panic at all he was forensic you know you don't come back from that and Robin Williams is so great because you say it's because he's he's likable but again there's just so much humanity to him he's a very chari- uh, not not necessarily charismatic but he's a very magnetic presence so when you put you know, violent deeds in the form of Robin Williams. That's really compelling because you kind of want to like him, and you find yourself enticed by this, you know, terrible person.
3: I think I think he's got this quiet tone, which you can see it in the other films he's in. That he it can be very sort of a compassionate, kind of loving man, or he can be quite a creepy that it's it's almost th- there's a very slight change in his tone but it's just as very quiet when it's not being the big sort of aladdin genie type yeah. comedy when he's not doing that this quiet tone which can be so many different things it can be the the compassionate you know the creep like he is in this one or or quite tortured you know i he does so much of it. Yeah.
2: yeah, And I think there's also as well, and, and again, Robin Williams is trying to portray to Opportunity that he shares some similar mm-hmm. difficulties. You know, they're both in this situation where they didn't mean to kill somebody. Yeah. And, uh, and they did. Uh, now that is, I guess, not explicitly called out in the original. Although it, it, you get the sense that there's a kind of relationship there. And I get the sense that In the original, at least, that the uh, Stellan Skarsgård is is kind of understanding of that and trying to get something out of the fact that, well, I have accidentally killed my partner and this person's accidentally killed somebody. So maybe we aren't so bad. Whereas in the remake, Al Pacino is like, nah, (laughs) what you did was wrong. What I did was an accident. Um, yeah, and, and it's very explicit.
1: But that's his that's his job, like speaking, isn't it? That's not I don't think that he necessarily believes that if he took a long hard look at himself. I think as the film goes on and he has like those confessional scenes at times. One with Moratini, the woman who works in the hotel. And then once again with Hilary Swank, who I think is a really important addition to this film as well, because oh, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. she's a protege and she looks up to him. And actually although she figures out that he was the one who shot Hap, and he was trying to get away with it in the end, she gives him an opportunity to say, I'll I'll wipe the record of this. You know, I will dispose of this evidence so that your legacy is protected. And actually he says to her, don't compromise. Don't do what I did. You know, you're a good cop, be better than me sort of thing. And that's, it's a very Hollywoody kind of way to end it, I guess. And if you're being cynical, you could look at it and go, well, this is a classic blunting of the sharp edges of the earlier film. But actually, I think it's, it's appropriate in, in a lot of ways to enrich these characters a bit further. And really, I think there's more moral complexity to this film because there's more shades of grey in each of those characters, in the Ellie Burr character, in the, the Robin Williams character, and in the Al Pacino character. Yeah, and, I agree.
3: I don't think it could have ended a different way. You know, I don't think it could have had a harder ending. You could not, just, not for uh, the film that it was.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the ending. I, and I, yeah, I can see, again, it's easy to say the Hollywood ending, you know, uh, although uh, Al Pacino does, uh, does sleep. finally, um, and,
1: <laughs> finally. That, and that's the other thing, you know, in terms of the insomnia yeah, yeah. of the film, I, I actually, when I watched this earlier this week, I had had a particularly early start uh, that day because I'd woken up and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I'm watching Pacino like gradually degrade in front of my eyes. And it may just be because I was extremely tired, but he he made me feel tired just looking at his face as this film goes on. And there is one line that really I can, I can endorse and empathize with a lot. Robin Williams calls Al Pacino at like four in the morning in his hotel room, just as he was dozing off. And uh, he says, there's nothing as lonely as not sleeping. It feels like the whole planet's deserted. And as someone who, for their job, has spent a lot of time on the road sleeping in hotels and often not sleeping in hotels, I completely associate with that sentiment.
2: One final scene I'd, I I want to reference. So we touched on the um, the leg-touching scene in the original. And in the, the remake, you get a similar shot. So he picks up the... Uh, is it the funeral? He picks up the teenage... A girl who's died, uh, her friend. Uh, she's wearing a similar skirt, and you get the similar shot of the of the bare leg. Uh, but Bacino's hand does not reach across. And this probably, uh, imagine after discussing with you guys. So just to be clear, for for listeners, we we don't do any chatter on the pod beforehand. So I think now that that probably evidences the fact that maybe the in the original, obviously the action of touching the leg was was real, but the the read he got from the the woman was was in his head. Whereas here, you got the shot, but you didn't get any of the read or any of the physical touching, and it was never, never even really a thing. And I'm curious as to why you think maybe they kept that shot in.
1: It's an interesting twist. I think he sees it as an angle to get what he wants, doesn't he? He sees that this girl's easily um impressed. And, you know, when he walks over with his leather jacket yeah, and yeah. sunglasses on, he's like... Why don't you take a ride with a real man, baby? You know, that kind of thing. I wonder though, I don't know if you'd have any thoughts about this, Catherine, how much of a difference it makes that this version of the film was actually written by a woman. And that's why we get the deepening of that sort of betrayal between the murdered girl and her teenager and the deepening of the Ellie Burr character as well.
3: I think it's probably that. It's probably... I, I think he was... Because Al Pacino's character was supposed to be a better man than the one in the Norwegian... Yeah. drama i felt I, I don't think he could have done the things that Stellan Skarsgård did you know he he shot the dead dog rather than the live dog mm. um he didn't sexually assault more Tierney he didn't sexually assault the girl in the car i think it was i i don't think even if it had been written by a man they would have put this into a hollywood studio film no. i don't think so
1: probably not and i i have to say i totally forgotten about that that shot in the original film it's it's quite shocking you know isn't it? oh when yeah he, yeah yeah and yeah. it's not just like that he you know cheekily touches a knee he grabs some thigh and slides on up in there
2: yeah know? yeah <laughs> i think catherine calls it sexual assault and it absolutely is yeah um, so i guess any last thoughts um before we sort of wrap up our chat
1: so i got the feeling that you you both liked the original film but it was you know it's unrepentantly bleak isn't it there's obvious differences in that this is more of a thriller you know it has action scenes and that but did you enjoy it more or did you think like it was more thoughtful or less thoughtful or
3: you had to work a lot harder in the first one to understand what was going on Um, and I don't think that was just because it was subtitled and was in Norwegian and I felt that like you said before it was more stripped back but you still had to work harder and there was more going on in the the second one in the remake they're so different Mm. It's the same story almost identical but they're such different films they feel so very different and I enjoyed the Christopher Nolan one more. I enjoyed mm. it more. I would watch the other one again, but if I had a choice, I would watch the Christopher Nolan one. Yeah, I'd just realised. i just realised that yeah. that's the one I'd go for.
2: I think um, from what you said, Ben, I'm so pleased I saw it the the right way. Yes. So I saw the original first, because I can imagine how much you watched the remake first and then the, the original after, and obviously before way before this podcast was even a thing. And it's untastefully actually. The way the Christopher Nolan one does explain a lot more about the world, it's a bit more explicit about certain rules. About the, you know, Catherine mentioned about the light at the, uh, in the and the original when they're on the plane. But I don't think it's then referenced at any other point mm. in the film. It's just mm. light all the time. Whereas it's a constant, as uh, a constant, it's referenced a few times uh, within the film. There's also a few other points that are more explicitly explained. You know, about him having the second gun uh, in the yeah. remake. Um, whereas in the original, if you know, I found out that fact about Swedish cops carry guns and Norwegians after I watched it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think if I'd have watched it the other way, I'd have been going, "It's quite a lot missing from this film." <laughs> whereas watching it this way, I think the remake adds a lot to it. Uh, so I enjoyed the, the the first. I thought it was really good. I think based on the films we've watched so far, I think as a as an original, I can't find many faults with it. Mm. Um, and the remake is is brilliant. So I think as a as an original and remake, about as good as we're going to get. I think in this series.
1: Ooh, this will be interesting when we get to score in it. Uh, just for my own benefit, what is your favourite Christopher Nolan film?
2: I'm going to spend about 15 minutes clarifying what favourite is. <laughs> <laughs> because no, is it best?
1: No, 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 no. no. So, favorite so, is not best. Okay,
2: okay. I think. Oh, it's, so my immediate thought is Inception and Memento, two completely different films. I think sure. Memento is amazing. Yeah. I love Memento. the the way that film is told, and you know, not not going to be spoiling Memento on this podcast, but you know, watch it, and then I highly recommend give yourself a bit of a break and then watch it again, mm. um, because it's it's so good. Um, and Inception is possibly one of the greatest Hollywoods. Blockbuster film stories of all time, you know, as a Hollywood film, action, big budget, big cast, all those things. IMAX action, deep storytelling. Yeah, I think I think Inception and Memento are probably my two, to be honest.
3: If I was to go back and watch any now, it would probably be the Dark Knight trilogy, which are what I enjoy most, but probably because I've seen them most, I don't necessarily think they're his best. When when you ask the question, I immediately my brain went to Tom Hardy in Dunkirk and his his story. I, I wouldn't say Dunkirk is my favourite of his. It's difficult. I'm not sure I've got a favourite.
2: You see, I, I know what Ben's going to say, and because I've just thought of what Ben's going to say. Go on. I'm like, yeah, that's really good as well. No, you do it, Ben. You have the honours.
1: Well, my favourite's the Prestige, which again is <laughs> is, is sort of is, could be the other forgotten Nolan film to an extent because he did it between two of the Batmans but I love that film and and I go back to it over and over again yeah just Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale both in that film amazing and it's got David Bowie as Nikola Tesla what what more could you want
2: one thing I'd say about about both the Nolan films and maybe Insomnia because I've only seen it the once my, my kind of measure for you know there are lots of very good films out there a film that can almost take it to another level on a rewatch. It might have a big twist or a big reveal or whatever, but you the way that reveal is told and then you watch it back and you yeah. see all the little snippets and he is a master at yeah, that. Yeah, he's, I mean, he is. He is so good at Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, as, uh, as is Denis Villeneuve, of course, because yeah. I watched Prisoners last night. Which ah,
1: was incredible. yeah. yeah uh, we'll chat we'll about that later then
2: because <laughs> Catherine hasn't seen it.
1: Are we all happy? The only thing I want to mention because it's going to inform what I take through to the original, we mentioned that incredible shot of the glaciers at the beginning. Wally Fister was Nolan's go-to guy for cinematography for most of his big films until recently. And he's right up there with the best that there ever were, in my opinion. Uh, And also David Julian's score, who he also did the score for Memento. And I think that adds a lot to this film in terms of mood and and atmosphere. And it's another reason why this feels so much more like Memento than any of the other subsequent Nolan films. So I just want to shout those both out because they're both excellent.
2: So there we go. The insomnia... Uh, original and remake I think it's fair to say we all thought collectively excellent films Uh, but to help close us up into into reviews and scores uh, Catherine of course our resident fact and stat expert what have you got to share with us and our listeners this week?
3: It's too much pressure being um, an expert but just just some of the scores they're both very high on Rotten Tomatoes so 97% for the original 92% for Christopher Nolan's remake,
1: that's got to be the highest score cumulatively that we've had so far, isn't it? I, th- I think Absolutely. so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It goes along with what you said, Neil, about them both being on a par. It's the it's the mm. the films that we've done that have both been the most alike in terms of quality. IMDb seven point three for the original, seven point two for the remake. They're just so close, and there's a Metacritic score. Did I get that right? This you time? said it. You actually yeah. said it. <laughs> Yeah, so the remake was 78, but there isn't one for the original, so yeah, they were both, obviously from those scores, it's not a surprise that they're both highly critically acclaimed. Mm. So, And I
2: think so, uh, on that score, and I'm being so close, I, I struggle to find any fault with either film. I wouldn't necessarily say either film is a masterpiece, it's not mm. going to be five stars, you know, on the harsh scale that I have or we share of out of five, but I can't find any fault with them. I think they're both very good films.
1: I think the only thing when I first saw the film was the ending, the the sort of the, the way that Robin Williams' character is finished off, felt anticlimactic to me the first time yeah. I'd seen it. Now, I guess it's, it's kind of a, an, an updating and an homage to the way that the killer is dealt with in the original film, but that would be the only thing that stops it being a five-star film for me.
3: The beach scene in the remake, when they had to film that, they couldn't access it by land. So they had to have everything all pieces of equipment, all sort of port-a-loos. They were all out on barges out in the lake because they couldn't, they just couldn't access it by land. So it was really difficult. It also wasn't misty. That was all smoke. Ah. The fog. It was awesome. You didn't
2: mention the fog actually. I thought that was pretty cool and impressive. Uh,
1: Well, that is what they call in literature class. Pathetic fallacy, where the fog represents the confusion of the antagonist's mind.
2: <laughs> Tell who's got the film degree here.
3: <laughs> oh, and they nearly—they nearly, they nearly um, all got wiped out by an avalanche. Because that final, stuff. the final scene um, where they they shot at Robin Williams' cabin. That was—I mean—they scouted that location in. It was like six foot of snow, and they didn't even know what they were looking at, and they had to just sort of go with it and just from pictures of what it what it used to be like and they set up sort of up in the the mountains to near that place when it eventually all thawed and they they could build that set but they were told they shouldn't really do that because it was an avalanche prone area and they did actually it the, they heard a rumble and it the avalanche came down from the mountains and stopped just before the whole base camp base camp that sounds like mountaineering but where they'd mm-hmm. set up all their their equipment
2: so ben Have we had any listeners' feedback?
1: So Richard mall has been in touch after our RoboCop episode to say, really enjoyed the RoboCop episode, inspired me to give the remake another chance. It's not the original, but some good stuff, better than I remembered. It got me thinking about films with multiple remakes. And if you exclude things based on previously existing stories, like A Christmas Carol, there aren't many. You're doing Seven Samurai and The Magnificent Seven, but could add... Battle on the Stars, and The Magnificent 7 2016, and as we previously mentioned, A Bug's Life as well. Personally, I like a bit of Leone, so Yojimbo, A Fistful of Dollars, and Last Man Standing make a nice triplet, though that might be a bit too much spaghetti. Thanks for that, Richard. So what he's referring to there is we're doing Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai that was remade as a Western as The Magnificent Seven. Akira Kurosawa also did Yojimbo, which was also remade into a Sergio Leone movie called A Fistful of Dollars that was then remade by Walter Hill as a slightly more modern 30s set Western with Bruce Willis called Last Man Standing. Uh, I would argue that that is the law of diminishing returns. Fistful of Dollars is good. Last Man Standing is just fine. But we'll add them to the list. I'd do Yojimbo and Fistful of Dollars for sure.
2: I think that was on the uh, on the on the centralized list. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about films, so yeah, I've I'm really interested in seeing. Uh, so I've seen both Seven Samurai and, and Magnificent Seven. I'm really curious to see in, with this lens of it being a remake. You know how it how it does it, and you know a lot of Kurosawa films ultimately went on to either be remade or influence. Uh, Western films, and not just stories, you know, the way they were shot, the way they were, the camera work, the you know, all Kurosawa's work was influenced hugely into into Western uh, movie making. So I think literally sitting down and watching these two films as remakes, but I guess not, you know, I think that it's the first, that will be the first remake we do where the title of the film is different. Yes, I think you're right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and the only, so.
3: I mean, I don't have... My knowledge of Kurosawa films or even Western films is is zero, really. It's very, very limited. I've probably seen a few Westerns Sunday afternoon and they all kind of roll into one for me. So I'm coming to this completely, completely as a newbie.
1: It's a shame in a way that we're not doing the Sergio Leone Western, rather than because Magnificent Seven is a, is what I would call, although it's a great film, it's a very typical studio rabble rousing adventure western. Whereas what Sergio Leone did with the with the the Man with No Name films is much more exciting, sort of cinematically, and I think. Catherine, if you'd never watched any of the Sergio Leone Westerns like Once Upon a Time in the West or Good to Bad and the Ugly, any of those, I think you'd really dig them. I think that the style of filmmaking is very influential on the filmmakers that you guys like. So I'd recommend at some point getting involved in, in those because I think you'd really dig them.
3: I will. Thank you. That sounded so formal. I will. Thank you. Thank you very much. I felt <laughs> like I should have up your hand after that then.
1: Uh, yes, you'll be hearing from us. We'll
2: have a poll at the end of the season to vote on these films. So whether you're excited about us watching them or whether you you want to watch them yourself, uh, do feedback and get involved in the vote.
1: Um, Yeah, well, Richard got in touch through our Facebook page. So if you want to see the poll, the best place to vote on it is to get involved at Facebook. So go on there, like our page and follow us, and you'll see the poll pop up on there, I thought.
2: And Russia, if you're listening, we'd really appreciate some dodgy
1: Facebook ads. Yeah, get your man Dominic Cummings on the case.
2: Thank you for the feedback, listeners, and Ben for sharing. Uh, Another chance for Ben to share uh, is his three-word review of the remake.
1: Uh, Well, I think I got a bit stuck on this, and I've basically done a tagline instead of a three-word review. It's fine. Darkness by daylight.
3: Oh, that's good.
1: You like that? I'd watch that film. Yeah,
3: I think have that's you... one of the best we've had so far this series season. No,
1: I, I, I thought it was rubbish. So thanks very much. Mm. <laughs> and
2: uh, Catherine, have you got a three-word review for us?
3: Oh, see, I'm not good at these. I don't. I don't like doing these. But I, I literally just described them, and I'm going to go with superior cop thriller. I... That's Next. that's a three-word
1: review.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've gone for a superb Hollywood remake. I think it's. Uh, you know the context of it being a, a remake of a Scandinavian film. I think it was great. I can't I say can't fault it. It was very good.
1: I'm really, I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised. I didn't think you guys would be as into the remake. I thought you yeah. you would see it as being a kind of blustery Hollywood version. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad that yeah, it worked for you.
3: I I think when it first started, I was a bit concerned that that was going to be the case. Mm. And it wasn't really until, like I said, that moment when Al Pacino moves that desk closer. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah. I like that he didn't go all the Al Pacino. Great, yes! <laughs> that,
1: that, Al Pacino. that Al Pacino. That
3: Al Pacino.
2: But uh, I, think, I think the last 20 minutes, half an hour, had a huge amount to the film. The, the difference in the ending they're um, all in the the bar having a drink and yeah. one thing we actually didn't talk about actually was the planting of the gun and how all that played out in the in the original and the remake and the differences and, and basically framing the boyfriend essentially so I guess they were in the, in the bar having a drink because they've cracked the case uh, but Hilary Swank is the one who pretty much knows that they haven't and then she puts pieces together and uh, then it ensues that they end up at Robin Williams's cabin. And I think that adds a lot, so I think that was really good. I think it was yeah. done very tastefully, it was done well. Enough difference for it to be a very good remake. So, yeah. So, with that and the kind of difference in the end scene there, uh, we also need to take uh, one thing from the remake uh, into the original. So, I'm going to hand over to Ben first, because he hinted that he had something lined up.
1: Well, it's a toss-up for me between the cinematography by Wally Pfister... Or the score by David Julian. But I think the score in the earlier film is more appropriate to the mood that they're going for. Uh, it's used very sparingly. It's kind of electronic, isn't it? So I'm going to say the, the cinematography.
2: There we go. What about yourself, Catherine?
3: Because they're so different, I'm not sure anything else would work in either film.
1: How about you could take through not shooting the dog or not being a rapist? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well... I did consider the lack of sexual assault. I thought that might be a good one to pull through. But doesn't that kind of give more texture to who Stellan yeah. Scoresguard's character is? I... Of course it does, yeah. yeah. You're going to have to come back to me, Neil.
2: Okay, so I mentioned the ending. I think it was, it was much better. But again, I I, I agree that that would be quite difficult to put that ending uh, in the original.
1: Uh, so you actually you prefer the ending of the remake, do you? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. was really okay. good. And... Uh, I think any of the actors, really. Stellan Skarsgård is, is fantastic. I think maybe developing more the female character in the uh, in the original. So be it Hilary Swank herself or her character, just being more developed in the original. Because I do think the original, she plays a very critical role, was on screen cool. for about two minutes. She's,
1: um, she's really good as well, the actress yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. plays that part, yeah.
3: She was a different character, though. Yeah. I mean, Hilary Swank's character was... Very green. She was, you know, like you said before, a protege. Whereas I, I think the one in the original, she was, she'd seen more. She was probably more cynical. Yep. She'd been through more. It was. I didn't ever feel there was a question that she was going to turn him in. It was like a, yeah, I know what you've done. I want you to know. I know what you've done. But they were just very, very different characters.
1: Yeah, I want to get. I want to get your feedback on this. I was watching it and I'd never thought of this before. This is on the remake. You tell me whether you think this is a plot hole or whether the film sort of acknowledges it. So in the ferry scene, the two characters, the killer and the cop, hatch their plan because they've both got dirt on one another. They both need to pass the suspicion for Hap's death and the girl's death onto other people. And they talk about having a wild card. And Robin Williams says, you know, if you still had the gun, that would be really compelling, which Al Pacino has already, I think, stashed in Robin Williams' apartment at that point, point. and then he steps off the ferry and he holds up a tape recorder and he says, "Wild card." But I think in the earlier scene, when Al Pacino goes back to Robin Williams' apartment after he's fallen under the logs, Robin Williams phones the answering machine, picks up, and he says, "Have a shower. There's a there's a towel and all that." And then he rings back in again and rings back again and he says, "Dorma, pick up. I know you're there. This is stupid." And he confesses on tape. So this is before the wildcard scene. Al Pacino, this great detective, has a recorded confession on an answer phone tape. Why doesn't he take that and nail the guy with it at that point?
3: Because Robin Williams knows that he killed Hap.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't have any evidence at that point. Robin Williams doesn't have any evidence other than he knows about the gun. But he's already stashed that in Robin Williams' house at that point, hasn't
3: he? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Big plot hole, I think.
3: Yeah, I'd never, that didn't cross my mind.
1: I think it's an interesting point on
2: the the answer machine message. I can only think, like Catherine said, really, that was it, you know, that, okay, he didn't have any evidence, but he's already under investigation with internal affairs. And if this got out and Swank eventually, you know, Hilary Swank eventually figures it all out anyway. So, yeah, maybe he wouldn't know have that knowledge at the time. So yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that maybe he didn't.
1: I would definitely have taken the tape, no, even if you're
2: not going to use it straight over. Can but... I just check? Did did the? I thought the gun plant came after the conversation.
3: No, it came the second time he went to the apartment, which was yeah. after he'd been in the water. But didn't oh, okay. he? Pi- didn't he pick up the second time, Ben? Yeah. The second time that Robin Williams phoned. So is it?
1: But the answer he... machine's already going because otherwise he wouldn't have heard him say pick up. And it does record both sides of the conversation because this was a crucial plot point in a Columbo episode.
3: But, but does it record once you've picked up?
1: Yeah, it does. It carries on recording. I'm sure it does.
3: Okay, I didn't know that about answers.
1: So suck it, Nolan! <laughs> yeah, not all that. I, I'd like to start a debate on this. Like, is that a plot hole or not? For fans of Insomnia, get in touch and let us know if you think that is a plot hole or if, or if I'm being stupid.
2: So we've uh, shared our thoughts on, the, on both films, really. Feelings for them, and whether they were good, great, or, or otherwise indifferent. Uh, but critically, we need to do our good-bad remake scores. So Ben, remind the listeners of the, uh, the three scoring options.
1: If it is an excellent remake, and even potentially improves on the original film, we're classifying it as remazing. If it's, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's fine. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Then it's an agree make. And uh, if it's the point break remake, it's an unmake. Well, I, I've already said it. I, I think this is amazing. I think both films are excellent. And I think there's an argument to be made, actually, that the original film probably is closer to like flawless. Like you're saying, you can't really pick any holes in it. But I really like the deepening of the characters and the, and the stylistic touches in the remake. And that, that sort of overall mood and atmosphere is more to my taste. So, yeah, amazing for me.
3: Amazing for me. I really liked both of them, and I think I said before it's difficult to pick, but I think the Christopher Nolan just tips it for me. But yeah, amazing.
2: And that is a clean sweep for Amazing, uh, and I think that's our second. Looking back at this, scores, that's our second clean sweep uh, after Little Shop of Horrors. I think it was an excellent remake. It's it's. It's how you do, because remaking foreign films mm. is, a, is a very I was going to say easy thing to do, and that, that's, that's harsh because it makes it more accessible. Not everybody is into subtitles and foreign films and those kind of things, and often they can be uh, far too dumbed down, or, or they can really uh, change too much to, to Americanize them, if you like. Uh, I think this is an excellent example of how to make to remake a foreign film very well
1: yeah i agree and it will be really interesting if we do another batch of films to look at the vanishing and it's american remake because they were even done by the same director in my opinion that is a classic example of a hollywoodized you know 100% remake missing what was so great about the original film
0: amazing
2: so, Insomnia, Clean Sweep, for Amazing. That is highly recommending watching both films if you haven't already. We obviously spoil them if you've got this far in the podcast. So, our sixth film is going to be Ghostbusters and the remake Ghostbusters. So, uh, in terms of these films, uh, and I guess our kind of histories with them, the original Ghostbusters is a huge favourite of mine uh, when I was younger. Um, I had the video, went on to DVD, had you now since bought the 4k version. it's just absolutely fantastic and I've not watched it probably in a few years now. so very, very much looking forward to, to that. And the remake of course, uh, which came out uh, a few years back, I ignored and avoided, I think for you know the backlash it got, the reviews that it got, I didn't want my original Ghostbusters experience tainted. So <clears throat> I think going into this podcast and having to watch it, I'm really, really looking forward to, to seeing it. Because I have similar feelings about RoboCop, and RoboCop remake turned out to be pretty good. So I'm curious to see uh, what the Ghostbusters remake is like. Catherine, what about you? Have you seen uh, either, either or?
3: Well, I've always seen Ghostbusters the original. I'm an 80s child, so of course I've seen Ghostbusters the original. Um, yeah, one of my favourite movies. I haven't seen the remake and it wasn't because i avoided it in particular i mean I, I was aware of all the controversy around it i i just never got a chance to see it that was it but um it, it's definitely made me apprehensive to see it because i don't want it to be bad i want them to stick it to the man or the men <laughs> smash so, the ghost um, yeah, yeah so um but yeah so i'm um, I'm really looking forward to watching them.
1: Yeah, I look we all grew up with Ghostbusters with our age and I'm the guy that even defends Ghostbusters too. I really like it. Um but I also saw I did see the the, the remake in the cinema and I I was quite public about the fact that I like the remake as well, but it's not doesn't mean it's flawless and I'm looking forward to chatting to you both about it. So if you do
2: want to uh, to watch along with us, I'm sure many of our listeners have seen the original and perhaps the remake or maybe you did uh, maybe it did pass you by or you chose not to watch it so as always we can uh, help you source these films digitally so if you search on justwatch.com you can uh, source these films the original uh, is available across all major platforms at $7.99 it's also currently available I'm not sure at time this podcast goes out uh, for 4k at $7.99 on both Amazon and Apple so uh, perhaps worth uh, if you've got the uh, equipment to, to watch at that definition, then definitely check it out. Uh, it doesn't appear to be available digitally to rent, certainly not across the major stores, uh, although why you'd not buy it, I don't know. Uh, but if you do want to stream it, it is available on uh, on Sky, I believe. Uh, so Sky Go Now TV, and of course, if you've got uh, uh, the standard Sky box uh, set up at home. Uh, the remake is also $7.99 across the board, and that is also available on 4K. Uh, again, time of recording. It is, I think it's on a discount on one of the stores. I think Microsoft, it's uh, £6.49. Uh, so it's actually cheaper than HD, which is interesting. Uh, but it's available in 4K from, from sort of £6 to, six quid to £10. Uh, so definitely uh, definitely seek it out and just watch. Uh, find your preferred store. Uh, or, of course, if you're old school, I'm sure you can pick up the... Uh, dvd blu-ray or 4k at a reasonable price as well so ben if uh, people are watching along and they want to get in touch uh, give us feedback and things how can they uh, how can they do that
1: well if you're dinosaur and you live on facebook you can find us at good bad remake or search for the good the bad the remake movie podcast uh we're on twitter at good bad remake and we also have an email account where you can send us essays about how brilliant we are GoodBadRemake at gmail.com.
2: Great. And we're looking, of course, for you to get in touch, feedback on the films themselves. If you've got a three-word review, you know, have some interesting take, or even actually a film that you would like us to cover in our special uh, 11th episode. So we're curating uh, some of those uh, on on some of those that have been mentioned either on Facebook or, or on email. So, so far from our listeners, we've had suggested Scarface, the producers. Go with a dragon tattoo. The thing, the departed, total recall. Uh, so yeah, if you want to vote for one of those, Great. Um, they all sound
1: good to me. I'd, I'd do an episode on any of them. Do
2: get in touch, and the idea will be at the end we will curate it into some kind of poll that likers on Facebook can can vote on. So there we have it. Insomnia is done ghostbusters uh, is the one to watch next week uh, so thank you for everybody for listening continue to like us subscribe leave us a review all the good stuff uh, we really appreciate everyone's thoughts and feedback do tune in next week uh, so thank you very much and goodbye cheers
1: i'm ben goodbye bye about HD DVD Neil. Uh
2: so I don't think Ghostbusters got a HD DVD release unfortunately. Um so yeah it's it's quite quite interesting actually a little HD DVD chat. So I went to IKEA this morning, uh finally sorted out my discs.
1: Is it interesting?
2: It's really interesting for our listeners. Um so you know th- there's a film later in this series that we're going to be covering the Hitcher uh which uh you know is is not available on blu-ray the remake at least uh, so i have the hdv
0: dvd copy i actually have two so uh, suck that <laughs>